Psalm 109. God of my praise, do not be silent, for wicked and deceitful mouths open against me. They speak against me with lying tongues. They surround me with hateful words and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I continue to pray. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked person over them. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty, and let his prayer be counted as sin. Let his days be few. Let another take over his possession, a position. Let his children be fatherless, and let his wife a widow. Let his children wander as beggars, searching for food far from their demolished homes. Let a creditor seize all he has. Let strangers plunder what he has worked for. Let no one show him kindness, and let no one be gracious to his fatherless children. Let the line of his descendants be cut off. Let their name be blotted out in the next generation. Let his ancestors' guilt be remembered before the Lord. And do not let his mother's sin be blotted out. Let their sin always remain before the Lord. And let him erase all memory of them from the earth. For he did not think to show kindness, but pursued the afflicted, poor and brokenhearted, in order to put them to death. He loved cursing, let it fall on him. He took no delight in blessing, let it be far from him. He wore cursing like his coat, let it enter his body like water, go into his bones like oil. Let it be like a robe he wraps around himself, like a belt he always wears. Let, his, let this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, let, to those who speak evil against me. But you, Yahweh my Lord, deal kindly with me because of your name. Deliver me because of the goodness of your faithful love. For I am afflicted and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like a lengthening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting and my body is emaciated. I become an object of ridicule to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads in scorn. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your faithful love, so that they may know that this is your hand and that you, Lord, have done it. Though they curse, you will bless. When they rise up, they will be put to shame but your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace. They will wear their shame like a cloak. I will fervently thank the Lord with my mouth. I will praise him in the presence of many, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who would condemn him. The second Bible reading is 3 John, which is found on page 1,123. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, I love you in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. For I was very glad when some brothers came and testified to your faithfulness to the truth, how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers, especially when they are strangers. They are testified to your love in front of the church. You will do well to send them in your journey in a manner worthy of God, 
since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that they can be co-workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have, his, have first place among them, that does not receive us. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he, has, he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also testify from him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I, do not wa- I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ed. I'm a student minister here at Church by the Bridge. And I just want to send out my commendation to all those young children who are drawing so well in their seats. They're doing so well this morning. I never could have sat still that long. So let's begin by praying. Father God, you are truth. You only ever act and speak in truth. You've invited us to be co-workers in the truth, like the Apostle John and Gaius to whom he wrote. Show us now through their letter how we can be faithful co-workers in this truth. Amen. Well, it's been a great delight to have Morgan and Anna Powell with us through the month of September. If you don't know who Morgan and Anna are, they're our mission partners here at Church by the Bridge, taking the good news about Jesus to the people of Peru. However, there is something a little bit presumptuous about Christian mission, isn't there? Uh, Morgan showed us some fantastic photos of him and the the native Peruvians in the high country, and they're they're dressed in their beautiful, colourful ponchos. And as I look at them, I, I can't help but think these people existed relatively well for millennia before Morgan and Anna and those before them came and told them that at best they're mistaken and at worst they're wrong and that they need to turn from their traditional beliefs and they need to trust in Jesus. If you're not a Christian here today, I can see how you can think that's just the height of arrogance. It's like a modern form of imperialism, uh, taking our beliefs and forcing them on others. But before we jump to that conclusion, we have a question to ask. And the question is, is the message that Morgan and Anna and those before them take true? We know it's certainly true, don't we, what the Bible says about our world being a broken place. I've got no doubt you've probably felt the brokenness of our world this last week. And the Bible teaches that the reason that the world is not the way it's meant to be, is because we are not the way that we were created to be. People are the problem. 
Now, the world functions perfectly well without us, doesn't it? It goes around, it's sustainable. We stuff it up. So what should God do? Get rid of the people? Well, that would be the just thing to do. But that's where the real events in human history of Jesus, his life and teaching, come in. That's where they intersect. Jesus was a man who claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to do two things, to reveal God to the world and to reconcile the world to God. He revealed God to people by doing things that only God can do. Jesus was healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, showing control over nature, even raising the dead. And Jesus was reconciling people to God by literally taking hell upon himself. A punishment that the Bible tells that you and I deserve. Jesus took that upon himself when he died on a cross and was buried in a stranger's tomb. And Jesus said that he died that death to reconcile anyone who would believe in him back to God. And you know the way that we can know that he was true about what he said? God raised him up from the grave. Three days later, he walked out of that tomb and he spent 40 days walking around with his disciples, meeting them, teaching them, praying with them, eating with them, embracing them, giving them confidence in the message he taught. Friends, these events are unique in all of human history. They are unique from one end of the earth to the other. They're events that have taken hold of many of your hearts. And if they are true, if Jesus is the only way that people can be reconciled to God, and it's that harsh that we can be saved from hell and only through Jesus, well then that is the most important thing that we can do. The most pressing priority in our lives. The most urgent concern to take to the nations. That's the concern of Morgan and Anna. It should be the concern of you and I. It certainly was the concern of the Apostle John. Friends, hear John's call, uh, hear God's call on our lives through the Apostle John in verse 8 of 3 John. Have a look with me. Therefore, we ought to support such men, people like Morgan and Anna. Kenny and Rose, people who are going out, taking that true message to the world so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Friends, the invitation through the letter of 3 John to you and I this morning is to be co-workers with the truth. And we're going to approach John's letter in three simple steps. First, we're going to consider a good example. We're going to look at a co-worker. Next, we're going to consider a bad example called him a no-worker. And then third, we're going to consider God's call to be co-workers and even to go ourselves. So let's begin by considering a good example. First point today, God commends a co-worker. This letter was written to a man, a Christian man named Gaius. Uh, we actually know very little about Gaius other than what's written here in this letter. But we know he was a Christian 
We know he was a member of a local church in, in Ephesus. And we know that he was probably just like you and I. So what is it that God wanted to commend in Gaius through John? Take a look in verse 5. Dear friend, you are showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers. Who are these brothers? Verse 7. These are the brothers who set out for the sake of the name. If you were with us last week, you know that the spread of Christianity in the early 1st and 2nd century was the result of traveling preachers and teachers who went around to every corner of the known world taking the truth about Jesus to whomever they could. But imagine traveling around the world in a time when there were no hotels, motels, or hostels. Where would you stay? Well, these traveling preachers and teachers relied on the hospitality of Christian brothers and sisters in the towns that they visited. There are many ways that we can show support for those who go out for the sake of the name. But the unique contribution of the letter of 3 John is the idea of showing hospitality. And friends, hospitality is not just a good suggestion from God. Have a read with me of verse 8 once more. Therefore, says John, we ought, and I think the word ought is not strong enough because the word literally means we are under obligation. So let's read it again. Therefore, we are under obligation to support such men so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Have a listen to this powerful quote from the wife of a renowned theologian. Her name was Helga Henry and should be up on the screen above. Christian hospitality is not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of age, social standing, sex, or personality. Christian hospitality is a matter of obedience to God. Let me share with you some lessons that I've recently learned about showing hospitality. Bridge and I have just moved into Erskineville, and we decided that when we moved, we'd rent a house with a spare bedroom. Uh, we wanted to be hospitable. So we told all our friends who live out of town uh, that we've got a spare bedroom. We've got a bed, we've got kids' stuff, bibs, babies' toys, you know, we're ready for you whenever you want to come. Uh, and so when did our first friends want to take up the offer of our hospitality? The week that Bridget went to New York. And so uh, my friend's wife, their 10-and-a-half-month-old daughter and two-and-a-half-year-old son and Italian backpacker, Giulio, were coming to our house and they needed to stay for a week and a half. Uh, I'd lied about the fact that we had a bed. Uh, we intended to get a bed, but we didn't have a bed yet. So I was totally stressed out. Uh, I lost sleep thinking, how am I going to get three beds for these people? Uh, and by the time they arrived, I was completely exhausted. I had three beds, um, but I, I was totally overwhelmed. At Christian hospitality, it is hard work, but I was thoroughly blessed by having them there. I, I stopped moping around the house thinking, woe is me, I'm a single parent. And I got busy helping another family in a time of real need for them. And, and these guys, well, they weren't believers and they were close friends of mine. Have a look at what Gaius is commended for in verse 5. 
Gaius, beloved, you are showing faithfulness by what you're doing, especially when they're strangers. Gaius is having strangers into his home. The only thing he knows about them is that they have gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. Isn't that a radical perspective on hospitality? You don't even need to know them. You just need to know that they're come in the name of Jesus. Well, why was Gaius and us obligated to support such men? Well, verse 8 finishes, tells us that by doing so, we can co-work in the truth. Friends, you may feel like you could never do what Morgan and Anna do. But the front line can be strengthened and bolstered by the home base, can't it? A strong and loving and supportive home base. Secondly, in verse 7, and the reason we're obligated to support such people is because they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the pagans. It's not saying here that Christians should turn down offers of government support. But what it is saying is that we can't expect our world to think that going and telling people to turn and trust in Jesus and turn away from their former faiths and beliefs is something that the world is going to support. That's our conviction, and it's something that we need to support. Uh, That conviction was behind the recent decision of Bridget and I to change from uh, a certain certain, um, child sponsorship agency to compassion. What are compassion on about? Releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Our child sponsorship agency were changing lives. Compassion seek to change eternal destinies and lives as well. We can't expect our world to think that releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name is a good name in which to act. We need to take upon ourselves that burden to support them. Well, Gaius is a commendable example, but let's consider now a a bad example. Our second point, a no-worker. God condemns no-workers. In stark contrast to Gaius, there was a significant member of the church, most likely a leader, church leader, named Diotrephes. He wasn't on about advancing the truth. No, what did he want to advance? Verse 9 tells us, Diotrephes loves to have first place among them. You know, we've all been living like Diotrephes at one stage of our lives, haven't we? Living for ourselves. Uh, It makes sense, doesn't it, that if you want to be happy, then the most important thing you can do is pursue your own happiness. And many of us have tried it. And those of us who've discovered the truth about Jesus have discovered that it's a total lie. That the way to happiness is not pursuing your happiness and joy. The way to happiness is pursuing the happiness and joy of others. That's the real joy that John and Gaius had found. If you are still today living for yourself, can I implore you, God implores you, to stop it. Stop trying to build your own kingdom. Friends, our own kingdoms die with us. Look back over history. 2,000 years of history. No other kingdom has survived except the kingdom of God. 
and look forward into the future. No promise has been made about any kingdom other than the kingdom of God that it will endure into eternity. Don't be like Diotrephes. Don't live for your own kingdom. Live for God's kingdom. Not only will you find life and life eternal, but you'll find the joy that's just oozing out of this letter between John and Gaius. Well, because Diotrephes knew he was building the wrong sort of kingdom, he knew that not only did he have to build himself up, but he had to tear others down. Verse 10, John says that, If I come, I will confront Diotrephes. Uh, I'll confront him about the work he's doing, slandering us with malicious words. But he didn't stop there, did he? He also stopped welcoming those who set out for the name. And then he was excommunicating anyone who wanted to welcome them. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why you may not be able to show the kind of hospitality that's commended in Gaius. You might live in a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, You might have young crying babies, and it would be torture to invite someone to spend a night in your home. Uh, But it doesn't stop us showing hospitality in different ways. Perhaps you could lend a car. Perhaps you could take someone uh, to a favorite picnic spot. Perhaps you could offer them use of your holiday home. And maybe you could give them a, a voucher to a favorite restaurant and tag team with your spouse and mind their children. There are many ways we can show generous Christian hospitality and co-work with those who come and set out in the name of the Lord. But if the thing that's stopping you is your comfort, if the thing that's stopping you is that it will inconvenience you, if it will mess with your busy kingdom that you're trying to coordinate and control, well then we've got to ask, which kingdom matters more? Let me temper that comment with a confession. I'm embarrassed that I had to call Russell DeVries yesterday to find out how our church, or if our church, have cared for Morgan and Anna while they've been here. I've been too busy doing everything else to care for our, our, those who we've sent out in the name of the Lord. It's hard keeping up to date with all the missionaries. Uh, it's hard enough to just keep up with our own lives often. Uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but over the years, it's easier to sign up to a mission partner's letter than it is to stop receiving that mission partner's letter. And so you might have an inbox full of unprayed for prayer letters like I do. But if you're feeling overwhelmed, well, perhaps you could do um, what Russell DeVries has encouraged us over and over again to do. Just pick one mission partner. Or if you're bold, pick both our 945 mission partners. Morgan and Anna, or Kenny and Rose Lloyd in South Africa. I've decided that what I'll do is I've added them to my weekly prayer list. You know, I've been working at this church for three years and I've waited for the mission committee to prompt me to pray for our mission partners and that's not good enough. So I've added them to my weekly prayer list and I'm trusting that as I pray them into my heart that that love will begin to find practical expression. And that I will find ways of being a good co-worker with our mission partners. 
Well, if you're also looking for practical ideas, God has given us, better than a list of ideas, he's given us good people, good people we can imitate and copy. That's our third point this morning, and that is that we imitate co-workers and consider the call. Read with me verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. You see, presuming that Diotrephes was a church leader, the temptation for Gaius would be to follow his leader. But John wants to suggest a new leader, a someone who is of God, who does good and shows that they're of God, not an evil worker like Diotrephes. He suggests, verse 12, Demetrius. And he gives three reasons why Gaius and the others in that church are obligated to support Demetrius. Demetrius, verse 12, has a good testimony from everyone. He's got a good reputation amongst believers and from the truth itself. Uh, the truth is, squares up with the way that he lives his life. Uh, as Demetrius lives, the gospel is proclaimed through the way that he lives. And then thirdly, he also has the testimony of the apostles. Now, we don't have the apostles around anymore, but we do have their criteria for those we send, in, send out and those in leadership, in the Word of God. And we also want to accept those who come teaching and preaching the apostles' teachings. You know, as I look at those criteria for Demetrius, a person worthy to, uh, to receive that support, someone with whom Gaius should be a co-worker, he sounds a lot like many of you. Many of us at Church by the Bridge. So why don't you consider going to the ends of the earth? Why don't you consider going out for the sake of the name to another suburb, another part of Australia. Well, while you're considering that, we know from Scripture, don't we, that the best missionaries begin as the best co-workers, that God sends out those who are faithful in the little things to be faithful with much. So let's think about good co-workers, good co-workers amongst us, whom God has given us to imitate. Church by the Bridge Let's imitate Russell and Naomi DeVries. I know they've got an official capacity. I know that they're our mission partners. But the reason that we've made them that is because they were doing it already. I'm always struck by Russell's genuine, heartfelt concern for our mission partners. They came up with a great idea of getting our children to send our pictures to the POWs and our other mission partners. And you heard how much that encouraged them. I know that they keep in just... Regular email contact with our mission partners, sending a little encouragement here and there. Church by the Bridge, who else are good co-workers in the truth? What about our beloved pastors, Paul and Rachel Dale? I don't know if you've ever had one of those conversations with Paul. Uh, hey, Paul, what are you up to this week? Oh, I've got 35 people coming over for belonging course tomorrow night, and then on Thursday we're having parish council for dinner, and then on Friday night, I just decided we'll have a barbecue for all the men from Saturday night congregation. And you're like, yeah, I was thinking of going to the movies on Tuesday. 
Friends, Paul and Rachel set us a great example of Christian hospitality. And Bridget and I gave it a crack just this last week. We, we opened up an invitation to my year group at college to come and have a post-touch football grand final barbecue back at our house. We had 20 people come through. We cooked sausages for everyone. They tidied up after themselves. We had the kids in bed and the house clean an hour before we normally would have uh, when we do it by ourselves. Uh, there was a great blessing in showing hospitality to these friends. And in fact, I think that 3 John, you could argue, gives us a little bit of a grounds for a prosperity gospel. We prospered as we did this. I don't know if you saw John's prayer in verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically, just as you are spiritually. The prosperity gospel that 3 John is on about is one that is concerned about the prosperity of the gospel, not about the prosperity of the people. And if you're like Gaius, well, you've got everything that matters, don't you? What does it say? There's a, there's a text note there at the bottom of your page. John says that you, are, uh, that you will be in good health and, in, uh, and prosper just as you are spiritually. The text note down the bottom says that your soul prospers. Friends, that is what really matters, that your soul prospers. And if you believe in Jesus, you have a prospering soul. And I pray that as you show hospitality to people, you'll go through seasons of great prosperity, of good health, where you can be very generous in taking out, in prospering the gospel. But we also know that the gospel is prospered through times of difficulty and hardship, isn't it? And in those times, it's okay. Your soul still prospers. You'll still prosper through that difficult time because you've got the one thing that matters. You've got Jesus. So keep imitating the good you see in people. Keep imitating Beck Cooper, who comes up with the meal roster at the click of the fingers for people in need. Imitate Ian and Linda Campbell from our evening congregation who have dinners for eight when they've, uh, once a month for people they haven't met at church yet. The best co-workers will make the best missionaries. So I wonder if as you become a commendable co-worker, would you consider going out for the sake of the name? We began this morning thinking that perhaps it's presumptuous to go out for the sake of the name in Christian mission. Perhaps it's arrogant. But if it's true, if Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God, who can save anyone from getting what we deserve from God, can save people from hell, then friends, that is the most pressing priority in our life. That is a more urgent need than education than sending Western medicine, uh, than foreign aid. We've got to send the gospel. And if we're going to send it, why not send our best? Why not be a church that sends the best amongst us to wherever there's need? I walked down King Street last night. We need people on King Street taking the gospel. Why not send our connect group leaders? Why don't, why don't we be a church that sends John and Megan Best to the eastern suburbs? 
why don't we send the Israels to outback New South Wales? We can send the Giblets, one set, we can send them to New Zealand, the others can go to Melbourne. Why don't we send the best amongst us out? And then not only Morgan and Anna will need our support, but we'll be obligated to support all these brothers and sisters who have gone out for the sake of the name. Our world can't afford us to just mind our own business, Christian brothers and sisters. Our world needs Jesus. We need to take that truth. Let's pray that we as a church would be commendable co-workers for the truth. Let's pray. God, you have given us your wonderful truth. What a privilege it is to be co-workers in proclaiming this truth to the ends of the earth. Help us to be faithful co-workers. May we consider the call on our lives to go. We pray this so that the joy that John spoke would be ours. The joy that he spoke of, hearing that people are walking in the truth. Amen.